You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges, breaking down language barriers, to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode number 347. I'm Brian Eggo, you can call me Eggman, and I'm joined by the ever-present Pontus Bookman. All right, Trips. <laughs> Hello, hey son, hey son. So I thought Annika was sounding a bit different this week. What's going on? Yeah, a little bit croaky. Yeah, so this is a little look behind the curtains here, folks. This is me jumping in a very short notice. Uh, yeah. Andras, we knew was going to be away gallivanting, so-called working, travelling. Um, <laughs> but Annika apparently is not feeling too great. Is that correct, Pontus? Yeah, she she was very good because she went to the doctors and had her jab one of the jabs, I don't know exactly which one, yesterday, but apparently it uh, was not the placebo jab. So she's a bit under the weather today, uh, which uh, we we wish her all the best. I'm sure it's just something that'll pass, but uh, that, that happens. It we will do, be logged as indeed. an adverse reaction to vaccines, I'm sure, somewhere. Uh, yeah, for sure. So Annika, you score 10 skeptic points for uh, participating in that. You lose five sceptic points for not being here at the moment and and making me ad lib over a bundle of stories that I've only just read. Um, but again, look behind the curtains, folks, all right? But you're going to see the best of my ability to uh, to think on my feet and wing it, okay? You lucky, lucky people. So, <laughs> well, on, well, honestly, it's always good to have you back, Brian. So how have you been? Uh, I, I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good. Busy, in, in sceptical terms, busy for many reasons, but mostly putting some final touches on a new talk that I've been preparing. Ooh. And dear listeners, if any of you happen to be in or around the Liverpool area on Thursday the 20th of October, then head on down and see me uh, speak for, for the Merseyside Skeptic Society. Great. So my new talk, Pontus, is yeah. about Facebook. You might have heard of it. Facebook, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, glad you've heard of it. So, um, <laughs> I'm a boomer, ab- but not that yeah. boomery boomer. Okay, okay. You're, you're, you're Actually, it's Facebook's. only boomers who are using Facebook only nowadays. Boomers that use <laughs> Facebook, right enough. Well, so m- many of the listeners will not know that Round about oh, a, a, just over a year ago, my lovely lady wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she's been through some fun treatment on that and is oh keeping boy. very well. Spoiler alert, she's doing okay now. That's great um, news. But, you know, as always, the skeptic, uh, once I got over the, the crisis of the um, the diagnosis, I decided to do a little bit of digging into alternative health groups on Facebook. Essentially, I've asked a whole bundle of alternative health groups on Facebook what advice they would give for me because my wife has cancer. Uh, and I have digested those results oh. and put them into a talk and I'll be doing it next Thursday in Merseyside Skeptics. And maybe, in fact, probably it will become an, an article for the Skeptic magazine as well at some point. So I've been all eyes down working on that of late. Yeah, that's great, actually. I, this is a constant problem, of course, a very serious problem with people giving the strangest health advices to people on online just 
uh, very, very dangerous uh, at times. For sure. And more on that later in the show, folks. What mm-hmm. an exciting call mm-hmm. forward. What about you, Pontus? You had a couple of hours on a train the other day to uh, do a bit of uh, uh, yeah. sceptical outreach. Uh, how did it go? Yeah, I did. I did. It was uh, interesting. Uh, I was asked by something called the Senior University of Stockholm, which I hadn't heard about, but it's a big thing. It's not a university. It is a a non-profit organization that gathers people ages 55 and over to, I guess, people who have time on their hands. And they arrange a lot of lectures for them in all kinds of subjects, science and other things. And they asked me to uh, to do that. So I took the train up to Stockholm. And just a week before, I realized this is not a small thing. I was imagining you know, 30, 40 people in a room. Turns out they had rented a whole cinema theater with, uh, I think it took 650 people. And wow. it was almost full. So I said, okay, fine, that's good. I guess I'll just have to fake it until I make it then. And uh, so I went there. I was uh, an hour early. The tech guys were there to help me. They had a little bit of problem getting my computer to talk to the big screen. It's a big cinema screen, like I don't know how many meters across. I felt very small on that stage. And after a long, long time, it's five minutes before it's starting and people are already seated in the room, they tell me, Come fix it. There's nothing wrong with your computer. It's on our end, and we can't make it happen. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God, I had spent a lot of time preparing those slides. And I bet they were very pretty, right? They, they are. They are still very pretty, but nobody has seen them. And uh, they were also, there were a few of them were about optical illusions. So how do I do this without showing the actual optical illusion? So I had to um, do it... Uh, Without my my slides, and imagine an optical illusion, everybody. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, but, but I, I'm I'm very very happy and pleased to say that I got excellent feedback. Of course, they felt sorry for me, I believe, to some extent, but uh, they really really seemed to enjoy it. So, um, yeah, just goes to show that. Well, if things don't work out, you just have to wing it. If Annika is sick, you have to call Brian to to save the day. Things like that. Excellent. Mm. Okay, so listeners, I hope you I hope you see what we're going to the lengths we go to to bring you content and bring content to the senior citizens of Stockholm, <laughs> senior university. I'm disappointed it's not a real university. It sounds like a like a heartwarming sitcom or something like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, maybe we should go on with the show a little bit. I, we had some listener feedback regarding my baby hatch rant from last week. So for those who who did listen, I was um, very upset to find out that many countries have a growing number of so-called baby hatches installed where mothers can leave their newborn baby anonymously if they're not in a position to handle the child. And I I want to point out, I don't want to put any blame on the mothers who feel that they have to do that. I've said so several times last week. But I also, I got the feedback and I I listened back to what I said and I did a little bit of a poor job to get my point across. But I'm always happy to to hear from the listeners. One thing, factual thing, was that a listener pointed out that the reasons that these hatches disappeared in the 1800s, because they were common way back when, but they disappeared in the 1800s, it wasn't because we became 
a more uh, enlightened society, as I assumed. It was actually because it became socially unacceptable to give up, quote-unquote, your child. So that probably just made the problem worse because now it was you didn't have even the baby hatches. So that's a good point. I hadn't considered okay. that. I also made an offhanded remark about the Middle Ages being uncivilized and barbaric, which I regret a bit because I know that's, that's very much a modern construction and uh, people didn't think of themselves as barbaric and uncivilized at the time, of course. And right. th- there was a lot of good just things happening finished, as well. Uh, just finished listening to an audiobook called The Bright Ages, which is basically there to dispel that very yeah. myth, actually, Pontus, you know. Although, that being said, there was a hell of a lot of war and murder and torture and all sorts of horrible things going on. So I, I wouldn't describe the ages as bright, but certainly not as dark as some people make out. That That's true. That's true. So the big thing that I was reacting emotionally to was that my main fear is that the existence of these growing number of baby hatches all over the globe and even in Europe is a consequence of and will be used as an excuse for limiting the rights to abortions. So the anti-abortion movement is on the rise, as we know, and I mentioned that last week as well. It's in the US, but we see it in Poland. I've even seen signs of it in Sweden, believe it or not. Well, I couldn't believe it, but it's there. In Sweden, of course, they're not talking yet about changing any rules, but there are debates on social media. Okay. So, so the concept here is, hey, pregnant lady, don't have an abortion. Just have the baby and stick it in the little old baby hatch. I can't imagine why you were getting emotional about that, Pontus. <laughs> yes, yes. No, but we can never accept that baby hatches becomes a legitimate, quote-unquote, alternative to providing good health care, which does include access to abortions. Correct. And I'm afraid that it is starting to happen. And um, I don't want to ban baby hatches. That's not what I... I said that as well last week. Uh, but I want to eliminate the need for them. Maybe that's naive and utopian of me, but I I want to eliminate the need for them and, and make sure that abortions are available to be had. You should also be able to do a safe, anonymous adoption if you or leave your child for an adoption if that's what you want to. And you should do that without having to unsafely handing your child into for what often is a religious charity. And we know what happens to some children, at least, in religious uh, sects or cults, which I exactly. include the Catholic Church as being. For for sure. Okay. Well, well look, um, dear listeners, thank you for your feedback. And, and Pontus, I'm going to give you a pass <laughs> o- on that. Let's move on to other matters here. Nobel Prize matters, Pontus. Yeah, I, I think we need to follow up. We did talk about some of the Nobel Prizes last week, but some of them had not been announced. I'm going to stick to the natural sciences here. So I want to talk about the Nobel Prize in chemistry, which was announced just, I think, the day after our recording. Now, chemistry, this is pretty much a subject outside of my expertise, but I'll try. I mean. <laughs> so, there were three people who shared the prize. Uh, Caroline Bertozzi, Morten Meldal, and Barry Sharpless. Uh, and they got the prize for working in linking molecules together, known as click chemistry, quote-unquote. That sounds intriguing. I had not heard about that before. And for dummies like me, almost all the news sources refer to this as chemistry Legos. Now, Lego I do understand. 
and I'm pretty a uh, big fan of Lego. So now, now you've won Likewise. me back. Now, now I know what it's all about. I'm on board now too. <laughs> I'm sure this is a huge oversimplification for the benefit of us, us non-scientists. But I, I realize, of course, that putting, being able to put molecules together in a more precise way easily is a very big thing. For sure. Just don't stand on those molecules with bare oh, feet. Oh, they're going to okay. hurt. Oh, that's going to hurt, right? <laughs> so I, I want to mention especially uh, one of the winners, uh, Caroline Bertozzi. Because what she did sounds especially important because she found a way to do this also inside living tissue, which obviously seems to be very useful in healthcare and uh, treating diseases. Maybe in the future, there are ways to assemble medical compounds inside the body once you've got the different parts to the exact place in the body. That may be uh, science fiction, but this is a step towards that, I think. So, well done, everyone. And uh, as always, science rules. Science rules, indeed. All right, let's move on to the next segment. This week in Skeptical History, also known as Twish. Okay, so let me take you back... But not very far back. I'm talking about the 13th and the 14th of October 2018. QED. So, woohoo, indeed. So, the 2018 QED, Pontus, what do you remember of that? Uh, Not at all. Nothing. It was all a blur. Uh, It was a happy blur. I came home with a big smile on my face. Uh, I don't remember anything. Anything especially (laughs) you had in mind? Okay, let let me quiz you. Okay. Who was who was the MC? That was what's his face? I don't remember the name off the top of my head. I know this, it was, but I... it was not what's his face. No, it was Helen Arney. Oh, it was. I was thinking about the previous one. Okay, so I'm confused. <laughs> All right. Okay, yeah, What's His Face was the year before that. That's there right. were also, let me just, I'm, I'm looking through the old event schedule now, right? So some excellent fringe activities as well, but we had the Skeptics Guide to the Universe there. All of the rogues were there. They even went to Edinburgh after their, their QED trip as well, which was fun. Mm-hmm. We had Massimo Polidoro, you know, gets a lot of mentions on the show. He was there too. Yeah. The, I think probably the, the standout talk of 2018 QED was a practical guide to attacking castles with Paul Duncan McGarity. Now that was down in the, the the workshop track, but due to a late cancellation from a main stage speaker, yeah, he um, had to do it on the big screen or big stage. Yeah, he did it on the big stage and and he nailed it big time. And do you know what? He must have done a good job because he's going to be the MC at QED this year, right? So I think he cemented his place in the hearts of QED attendees back then, right? Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great. So we we also had panel tracks about reuse of plastic. We had book shambles in the podcast track. We had Occam Award winning podcast. The European Skeptics podcast was in the podcast track as well. We were joined by Jane Avella that uh, that year that as well. That I do remember. That was yeah. really fun. You don't forget that in a hurry. We had serious inquiries only in the podcast track as well. We had a separate talk on the neuroscience of critical thinking from Steve Novella. And we had all sorts of fun and frolics in the bar, etc., etc. Good times had by all. Mm. And, you know, segueing in, good times are going to be had by all at QED. And, oh, what? When does this go out? Let me see. So it's going to be like about 12 days after this podcast goes out. Is yeah. QED, right? Better stop packing, people. 
Yeah, but get packing, folks. And hey, for you unfortunate souls who are not able to make it to QED, don't worry. I'm sure Pontus and Andrus and Annika are going to be running about interviewing people. Am I right, Pontus? Yeah, we're going to try anyway, yes. Of course, right? Yeah, and there will be some things that will be live-streamed as well, right? Exactly, yeah. Just announced very recently the Skeptic Camp that's run by our friends at Skeptics in the Pub Online. They are going to live stream the entire Skeptic Camp as well. Now, this is dependent on a number of technical factors, which we are trying to iron out right now, but it's looking good, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, folks, this is the day before QED starts. So it's Friday the 28th of October. It's 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. That's UK time. We're going to be live streaming. We've got 16 talks planned, including one from a handsome devil named Pontus Bokman. That's going to be the best one, Pontus, right? <laughs> we'll see if my slides work this time. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, tune into that, folks, if you're unable to make it to QED. And, and I'm sure there'll be plenty. Obviously, there's a podcast track at QED, so you'll be able to hear the fruits of those labours as well. And we will regale you with stories afterwards as well, I'm sure, Pontus, right? And we will also do a live recording of the ESP. Exactly. And you will join us. So uh, I will be there and, and Claire Klingenberg as well. And assuming, you know, Andrus is not traveling somewhere else in the world. Pretty sure he planned around this weekend. Yeah. Then assuming that Annika's healthy again, we're going to be at like a powerful five people up on the stage at QED. So, hey, if you are going to be at QED, please, I don't think the schedule's been announced yet, but make sure whatever else is, you know, running at the same time as us then that you shun that like a rabid dog and come to the podcast track and come check us out, folks, okay? We're going to bring candy again, all right? We're going to make it worth your while. We're going to do something, yeah. Okay, awesome. So, QD 2018, that was a blast. QD 2022 is going to be possibly even more of a blast. Let's move on now, and it is time for Pontus to poke the Pope. So two things about Frankie this week. The first one is that I think we can now establish once and for all that Frankie has totally misjudged how he should have handled Russia. Between the lines, it has been somewhat clear, I think, where he puts the blame. As is obvious for anyone with half a brain, including Frankie, we all know that Russia and Putin is the aggressor in this conflict. But Frankie has had this misconception that he can play the role as sort of, sort of mediator in all kinds of conflicts, really. Uh, if people remember several years ago, he suggested himself as a negotiator in the Middle East, which, uh, frankly, no one there was very interested in, and it just petered out. And from day one of this conflict, this latest conflict, he has said he wanted to go to Moscow and talk to Putin. Of course, nobody there was interested to talk to him at all. He has, for over half a year, tried to meet with Kirill as well. Kirill, the Russian Orthodox Patriarch. Kirill, of course, on his part, has done anything in his power to avoid talking to Frankie. He even cancelled his trip to Kazakhstan not to have to face Frankie. After all this time, Frankie has only managed to make himself look like a failure for not condemning Russia from day one, like he should have done that. Correct. I think he should realize that popes just don't have that position anymore, that they can play any major role in world politics. They, just, they should just stay out of politics. 
And, and by the way, he's not alone in thinking that popes should play such a role. Um, apropos, we talked about Nobel Prizes just before. I heard some pro-Frankie Vatican analyst complain about why popes never get the Nobel Peace Prize. He has sort of a point because whoever the pope happens to be, they are always nominated to the Peace Prize. But they have never gotten it. And uh, this particular person was a bit bummed out about that. I don't oh, see why they should. Have always that. the bridesmaid, yeah, never the braids. Right. Sorry, right. Popes. Yeah. So, um, sorry, Frankie, you're not a um, good uh, source for ending world conflicts. Uh, you should leave that to others. So, there's another thing I want to mention about Frankie this week. All failures aside, I must agree with a listener called Michael, or I think it's Mikael, who, um, little tongue-in-cheek, suggested to us that Frankie may deserve another prize. Not the Peace Prize, but the Really Right Award, because he actually did something pretty good last week, believe it or Ooh. not. Yeah, yeah. So the, the occasion was that he was to announce, or he did announce, two new saints. One of them was called Don Giovanni Battista Scalabrini, I love Lovely. those uh, Italian names. I, I guess now we have to put San in front of that. So it becomes San Don Giovanni Battista Scalabrini. Or just San Don to his friends, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one. And the other saint was, oh, I want to butcher this, Artedime Satti. I assume that's an Italian name. That's should not... have gone with that name first. Yeah, I should have Go gone with, with that name first. Uh, uh, okay. Anyway, they both got the sainthood, apparently, for go doing good deeds in helping migrants. And that gave Frankie the opportunity at this occasion to talk about the terrible situation for refugees that try to get to Europe but are often drowning in the Mediterranean or end up in other horrible situations. Frankie apparently, during this ceremony, put away his prepared speech and went on a rant about how horribly refugees are being treated. And this is what he said, quote, Indeed, the situation of migrants is criminal. They are left to die in front of us, making the Mediterranean the largest cemetery in the world. The situation of migrants is disgusting, sinful, criminal. Not to open the doors to those who are in need, no. We exclude them, we send them away to lager where they are exploited and sold as slaves, end quote. And I should ex maybe explain the word lager here is referring... Thank you. Yeah, no, it, it's not a beer. It is um, referring to the German word for camps, as in concentration camps. Okay, much less fun than actual lager. Okay. Yeah, so really not being very diplomatic. So just a reflection I had is that he can roar if he wants to. So he should have used that kind of language towards Putin from day one. But um, I, I think it's easy to roar if you know that the consequences will be minimal. And I would imagine roaring against Putin would have consequences. I, I, I mean, I, he's he's well, picking his battles, but at least he's saying the right thing uh, yeah, in this respect. What in this consequences respect. are you thinking of? Do you think Putin would invade the Vatican? No, but he can make it difficult for various things happening. You know, I mean, yeah. clearly from a diplomacy perspective, right? All right. But, you know, let, let's face it, Putin has got a, a pretty good track record of making people who speak out against him die, or at least uh, um, allegedly, I would say that. Oh, yeah, you, you're, you're quite right. Yes. Don't come at me, Vlad, okay? Right. Um, that, 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 that's correct. That's correct. So I take that back. Maybe it is dangerous to criticize Putin. Maybe we should uh, 
change our policy for the show here so we don't get in trouble. But hey, are we going to award the really right here then? Uh, well, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think uh, I, I, I can't really stomach giving uh, the really right award to Frankie, mm. <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Well, we, we, we'll, let's give Frankie a broken clock award, all right? So yeah, he's, a broken he's, clock he's, award. Very good. We'll do that. We'll do that. There you go. But uh, I want the language he's using here in this rant, which I fully support. I, I, I 100% behind what he just said. See? And uh, the only thing is I almost expected him to curse at some point because it was that close. But I, I guess uh, popes don't curse. This is the close, close that they get. You sure he didn't see anything off in Latin? Maybe he's got some choice Under, Latin swear under, words that we wouldn't pick underneath up. Underneath his breath with nobody understanding. Underneath understand. his breath, yeah. yeah could be, exactly. could be. I hope so, I hope so. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, Pontus. Uh, let's you. move on. Time to get to the news items. Here we go. Okay. We have some news from the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control straight from their own website. Right. So this is horse's mouth news you're getting here, folks. And this is from the 4th of October. ECDC extended mandate endorsed today by the European Parliament. So, members of the European Parliament have endorsed extended mandate of the ECDC following a legislative proposal put forward by the European Commission in 2020 and agreed with the Council of the European Union. So, this was adopted with a huge majority, so 542 in favour, 43 against and 9 abstentions. And what this means is it's going to allow the ECDC to adopt a stronger role in supporting EU member states in the prevention and control of infectious disease threats and mm-hmm. to basically improve European preparedness and response ahead of future public health challenges. Because, you know, I guess the, the feeling is, hey, this horrible thing that just happened might happen again. How about we get ready for it? Here's some of the areas in which it's going to take effect. So there will be Epidemiological surveillance via integrated systems enabling real-time surveillance, preparedness and response planning, reporting and monitoring, provision of non-binding recommendations and options for risk management. Non-binding, that is, let me just repeat that. So any members of the European Union that don't like it will not be bound by it. So, you know, don't (laughs) vote yourselves out, folks. Uh, Not based on this anyway. Also, capacity to mobilise and deploy an EU health task force to assist local response in member states. Build a network of EU reference labs and a network for substances of human origin and foster the ECDC's contribution to the EU's international cooperation and commitment to global health security preparedness. So that all sounds common sense stuff. Hmm. I think there may be some accusations of, you know, closing the gate after the horse has bolted. But uh, I guess if you have a pandemic and you don't learn any lessons from it, then you are bound to repeat the same mistakes again that were made the last time. So I think this is generally looked on as a positive thing, right? Yeah, at least they're trying. Uh, (laughs) Let's hope that they can do that. I'm a bit worried about this non-binding thing. I'm not surprised by it because the member countries often want to have the last say, but uh, I hope most of them will try to conform. And I think there was something there about reporting, I think, And I think that was one of the things that we were struggling with during the pandemic was to compare death from COVID from country to country. And when you looked then at excess mortality, you you saw a totally different situation. 
And this was probably a, a consequence of different kinds of reporting and definitions and, and things like that. I hope they can harmonize that a bit. Without a doubt, I'm sure a bit of standardization would help. Uh, one thing that disappoints me, though, is, is good news, right? But I was disappointed because, you know, this release, uh, this news came out like over a week ago, right? I went digging out on Twitter and on Facebook and online to see if there was any outrage at it because, you know, having ECDC and the word mandate in the same sentence, I thought might have sparked some uh, some outrage from the anti-vax community, but uh, it doesn't appear to have done. You know, and obviously, like the the type of measures that we're taking, or the the ECDC are going to be have sanctioned to do, um, you know, may be taken by the anti-vaxer types as a an additional attempt to control the population, right? But there doesn't appear to have been any outrage sparked on this, maybe because it didn't make it. In to any of the mainstream news, you know, it, right. it, it seems like a pretty common sense thing. But lack of outrage, probably a good thing. But hmm. maybe yeah. just because people haven't seen it yet, right? Yeah, could be also that they are pretty certain that the EU never really manages to do much. It's just pretty words. Speaking like a true cynic, I should be <sighs> a little bit more <laughs> optimistic. Only time will tell. Yeah, yeah, right. All right, totally different subject here now. We don't talk a lot about satanic pedophile cults on the show. Not while we're recording. Oh. Oh, off the show, though, oh, it's a hot topic. <laughs> well, Try could... and get Pontus to stop talking about satanic pedophiles, I tell you, folks. Well, it could be because uh, it's not really a thing. It doesn't happen in real life, so that's why we don't mention it too much. But what does exist, of course, is conspiracy theories and fear-mongering about such cults. Very often, they are fueled by uh, tragic reliance on so-called repressed memories, meaning people who, with the quote-unquote help from a facilitator of sorts, believes that one, through hypnosis or therapy sessions, can be trained to remember things that happened a very long time ago, particularly during your childhood. And this can be very persuasive uh, if you are sort of a victim for this. But as we know from research by brilliant psychologists like Elizabeth Loftus, yep. that's not how memory works. You don't, it's very easy to plant a fake memory into somebody's head by just uh, nudging them along a little bit, suggesting things, and suddenly you remember a whole story that is, that you believe wholeheartedly, but it's all made up. Sure, I could have lied to you and agreed that it was that guy thingy that emceed QED in twenty eighteen, and <laughs> you would have just gone with it and it would have solidified yes, that memory, right? Absolutely. But the latest on this subject is a tragic story from the Netherlands, where there have been allegations of a pedophile cult like this in the town of Oh boy, now I'm getting into trouble. It is most likely pronounced something like. Bodo Graven, no, Bodo Graven Reuweek, or something like that. This time I really Flawless. need help. This is the okay, best. Okay, come I can on, do. come on, listeners, get get yeah. get on it, please. You, you know, you know what we want you to do. We would love for you to send us a sound file of what it's actually pronounced as. So I'm not going to try to say it again. I'm going to refer it to the town. Uh, in the rest of this <laughs> news section, because that's all I can say. Okay, anyway, apart from the name of the town, what happened? Since last year, three men have spread rumors of satanic activities in the town. 
One of them claims to have so-called recovered memories of witnessing satanic rituals and the murder of young children back in the 1980s. And this has led to a series of repeated Twitter storms against the whole town. And it's become a real problem for the people who are living there. Now in June this year, the accuser and one of the others were convicted of sedition, threats and defamation by a Dutch court because they ruled that there were no proof of any sorts of any satanic pedophile network there in the 1980s or otherwise. The third man has been arrested, or he was arrested in Northern Ireland in uh, last year, in August, and has been handed over to the Netherlands for a trial that has not uh, yet started, I believe. So these so-called recovered memories can really be a serious business. And when this verdict came out that there was no proof for, for any such cult in the past, the town actually sued Twitter, asking it not only to remove tweets from these three men, but also from anyone linking the town to words like satanic pedophile crimes or calling on people to visit the town to commemorate victims, quote unquote. Because there's been activities at the, at the graveyard, I believe. They, people have been there delivering flowers and, and stuff. And it's very disturbing for the real relatives of these uh, people who have been buried there. Sure. Now, the court in the Netherlands ruled that a blanket ban like this would affect too much of uh, legitimate content on Twitter. And a judge said, quote, not everything is illegal and a good filter cannot be made in this case, according to Twitter, end quote. So I, I guess there's something to that. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to say that this is wrong or so, but it's just an illustration. The whole story is an illustration of that. The misconception that these recovered memories, quote unquote, exists is a problem. And it's it's still, I, I thought to some degree, the idea of this had gone away, but apparently it's still a thing that people fall for. Yeah. I mean, combine the fallibility of human memory with the outrage of paedophilia, with social media, social media companies who are unable or certainly unwilling to try and clamp down on any misinformation. It is a it is a formula for a very, very ugly situation, right? Yeah. And it's very and the thing that like you mentioned, it's very, very emotional. People are not reacting uh, logically and uh, rationally in these cases. For sure. Now, moving on, but staying very much on the same topic of social media companies and misinformation. This story comes from The Guardian and is based on America, but um, we do have a connection, right? So the headline is disinformation in Spanish is prolific on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube, despite mm. vows to act, right? So it is an American story, but it is about the Spanish language. Let me just check, Pontus, you're the expert. Um, is the Spanish language spoken in Europe anywhere? <laughs> to my knowledge, yes. Yes, uh, I think so. Okay, good, good. Let me just write that down. Which countries? Uh, well, I would start with Spain. Spain, hold on. Uh, and I remember a classroom in the 80s, where, which I intended, where we tried to speak Spanish, but we failed miserably. But I, I think, yeah, the, it, Spanish is definitely spoken in Europe. Okay, thank you for the clarification. So, last year, US lawmakers urged 
the CEOs of major tech companies, including Facebook, Twitter and YouTube, to do more to combat disinformation spreading in Spanish, warning that inaccurate information on key issues such as vaccines and the presidential election was proliferating on their platforms. So, I mean, this is obviously a problem that we have in English, right, uh, already. And in fact, the talk that I mentioned up at the top of the show that I yeah. prepared and, and delivering, you know, covers very much those topics, right? So the main focus on it was Facebook. But, you know, I also reported a bundle of content on YouTube as well for cancer misinformation. None of that has been taken down. None of the sites and none of the groups on Facebook have been taken down either in English language. And considering, you know, these companies, I guess, for right or for wrong, point a lot of their attention and, and resources towards English language misinformation, I can imagine it being chaos in other languages. And I guess presumably not just Spanish as well. I suppose the, the slightly unusual situation in the United States of America is that they have such a large Spanish-speaking contingent, right? Mm -hmm. So, with Spanish-speaking voters making up a significant part of the US electorate, Latino voters constituted the second largest voting bloc in 2020 presidential mm -hmm. election. A failure to eradicate misinformation from social media platforms amounts to aiding and abetting disenfranchisement, said Mariana Ruiz Fermat, who is the executive director at the tech-focused racial, racial justice non-profit organization Kairos. So experts say misinformation narratives in Spanish often mirror those seen in English, falling into the two main categories, politics or health and vaccines, right? So uh, obviously in America, in politics, the, the main piece of misinformation and conspiracy is around the 2020 election, the big lie, and of course, uh, the amount of, you know, COVID misinformation that we saw um, since the pandemic started is no surprise, the, the, the health categories up there. In addition, Media Matters identified three Spanish-language YouTube channels that have violated content policies numerous times but remain online, with a combined subscriber count of more than 880,000. Mm. So this is, a, this is a desperate situation there, right? Yeah. An internal Facebook memo revealed that the company assessed its ability to detect anti-vaccine rhetoric and misinformation as, quote, basically non-existent <laughs> in non-English comments. Wow. So again, quick, quick check with Pontus, my expert. Um, in Europe, as well as Spanish, do they speak any other languages other than English? I think so, yeah. Okay. I, I think there's a lot of languages there. Small languages, big languages. German is probably one of the, one of the major languages. Italian is I've big. I've heard of that one. Okay. Yeah. So the problem that's been highlighted in this story, uh, you know, specifically about Spanish in the US, uh, you know, could and most probably is, you know, a horrific epidemic across Europe. Mm. Okay, so we have platitudes from Facebook. Uh, as always, the company says it works with 90 independent fact-checking organizations around the world to review and rate viral misinformation in more than 60 languages on Facebook and Instagram. Quote, we've invested heavily to combat Spanish misinformation on our platforms and it mirrors our strategy to address English misinformation. 
said a spokesperson from Facebook. So YouTube also employ humans to assist their artificial intelligence-led moderation system with more than 20,000 people around the world working to review and remove content that violates its policies, including Spanish-speaking employees. Now, I think the argument is always going to be they're not doing enough. And, you know, those finances and numbers of employees may sound large, but I guess in terms of the profit levels and the income of these massive tech companies, it's a homeopathic amount of uh, support (laughs) that they're giving to battle misinformation, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, it's easy to to say that, well, it's for you and me, it seems like an impossible task to look into every tweet, every comment, everything on all these platforms. But they are providing this platform and they need to take the responsibility. For sure. Yeah, right. Speaking of social media, we have uh, Meta, who owns Facebook and Instagram. We just talked about that. They have removed a pair of what they call, quote, influence operations, unquote. So uh, some things are happening. So it's a pair of, so that just two, I guess. And these were run by China and Russia, respectively. They were removed because they were spreading disinformation, trying to influence views in the, on, on the US elections and on also the war in Ukraine. The operations relied on a network of fake websites and fake accounts linking to these websites. Apparently, they were relatively easy to identify by Meta. Contradicting the... Maybe it was in English, I guess. Oh, possibly. <laughs> Actually, it was not in English. It was in several different languages they did this. Okay, so what we're saying is if they really want to find and deal with problems... It seems they like they can. They can, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. Right. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. But uh, so, so but th- that's good. So good news, they were removed. But I was especially amused about the fact that the Chinese operation seemed to have been hampered by the Chinese strong labor laws, which meant that the people who were driving this misinformation campaigns, they could only do so during working hours in China, when much of the rest of the world was asleep. So it was a dead giveaway. Among other things, Meta's report says, quote, they appear to have a substantial lunch break and much lower (laughs) level of postings during the weekends, end quote. So that was fine that you could ex- you could see the traces of their lunch break in this misinformation flow. So uh, that, that was fun, I think. Oh, All of they this... should have used Chinese takeaway in the in the headline somewhere <laughs> oh, then, shouldn't they? That's... I should I should have thought of that. Uh, but all of this that I just said happened a couple of weeks ago. But the news this week is that Russia has now retaliated. Russian news agencies reported on Tuesday this week that Russia's financial monitoring agency, which is called Rosfin Monitoring, that's almost understandable, right? Rosfin Monitoring. They have now added Meta Platforms Inc. to its list of, quote, terrorists and extremists, unquote, (laughs) because they removed the misinformation. So... If you work to bring down disinformation, Russia labels you as a terrorist. Wow. (laughs) I mean, Facebook have been complicit uh, in some terrorist activities for sure. But, uh, you know, maybe they've overstepped the mark a little bit there. What a retaliation, though. I'm sure Zuckerberg is devastated at uh, at that news. Sure he is. Okay. Last in the headlines from the blog of ESP favourite Ed Zardernst. 
We have a memorandum about IM, Integrative Medicine. So, the Munster Circle, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That sounds excellent. I know, I I was annoyed by the umlaut above the U. I was hoping to crack a Munster's joke, but no, I thought I'd go with proper pronunciation. So, they they are an, an informal association of multidisciplinary experts who critically examine issues in and around so-called alternative medicine. They have been around since 2016 and in the past have published many documents which have stimulated discussions on those scam-related subjects. So yesterday they published their Memorandum Integrative Medicine. It is a critical analysis of this subject and will hopefully make some waves in Germany and beyond. Thankfully they gave an English summary, otherwise this could have got messy. So the merging of alternative medicine and conventional medicine has been increasingly referred to as integrative or integrated medicine, IM, since the 1990s and has largely replaced other terms in the field. It is often characterised with the thesis of, quote, best of both worlds. However, there is generally no accepted definition of IM. Common descriptions of IM will emphasise the combination of conventional and complementary methods, the holistic understanding of medicine, whatever that means, the great importance of the doctor-patient relationship, the hope for optimal therapeutic success, the focus on the patient, and the high value of experiential knowledge. Now, most of those, to me, sound like regular medicine. I think there's a, a, a an accusation on the um, alternative side that regular doctors don't have a, quote, holistic view of patient health. Yeah, uh, which is their nonsense. Best interest. Yeah. Uh, absolute nonsense. Same applies with the hope for optimal therapeutic success and the great importance of the doctor-patient relationship. It's just that in many cases, the doctors in conventional medicine are working under much more strict and time-pressured situations. Anyway, on closer inspection, the descriptions of IM show numerous inconsistencies. This is back to the blog here. For example, medicine in the hands of doctors is stressed, but it is also emphasised that all relevant professions would be involved. Scientific evidence is emphasised, but at the same time, it is stressed that IM itself includes homeopathy as well as other unsubstantiated treatments and is only guided by evidence, i.e. that is not really evidence-based. So the best of both worlds thesis seems to be impress a lot of people, but essentially the message here is if you dig a little deeper, you find that the term is not interpreted clearly. So I've got a few more terms for you, Pontus. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of IT? So uh, IM is integrated medicine. Have you heard of IT? Information technology? No, 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 no. We'll come to that. Um, okay. IT, I've just made this up, is integrated travel. So I've invented Ooh. the term integrated travel. So if you're getting on an airplane, a lovely Airbus 380, we put a dream catcher inside it. So you've now got <laughs> the best of both, both worlds, worlds contests. Yeah. Okay? okay. Now, have you heard of IIT? Uh, no, but I'm getting curious now. Yeah, that is integrated information technology. See, you were close with the last one. Okay, but this is okay. IIT. So on the conventional side, you've got circuit boards and processors and memory and storage. But 
We put a nice smoky quartz crystal in there to help with the root chakra of the computer and we get the best of both worlds. Okay, <laughs> one more for you, Pontus. IC. Have you heard of IC? Integrated... Um, no, I can't think of it. Anymore. It's uh, integrated construction, okay? Construction, so you, okay. Instruction, yeah, of course, right. So you have proper builders and engineers and architects using bricks and mortar and steel and concrete and cranes and forklifts. But as you are doing that construction, you have a Reiki practitioner waving their hands over your structure. So you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> so I... I think they're making a great point here, right? Yeah. Um, the term integrated medicine is doing a lot of heavy lifting and it seems to have weaseled its way into the consciousness as a good thing. But if you consider the fact that from the best evidence we have, all of the medical benefits are coming from standard medicine and none of the benefits are coming from alternative medicine. It does make a mockery of that term. So I'm very glad that the Munster Circle, the strangely named Munster Circle, has <laughs> at least called this out. Yeah, all right. The best of both worlds assumes that there is good in both sides. But if there's nothing good on the one side, then uh, just disregard it. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, obviously, I'm, I'm sure that our detractors would point out, you know, the focus on patient care and holistic. But I, I, I just don't think that's a valid argument. I think we have that on our side. And you know what? Talking about my wife's cancer treatment, mm. she very much saw focus on the patient and hope for ot optimal therapeutic success and phenomenal, phenomenal doctor-patient and nurse-patient relationship, the absolute best. So, you know, we've got it when we have the resources that are invested properly. Yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, there's my little preaching over. Uh, that mm -hmm. brings us to the end of the news. We are now going to jump across to someone or some organisation who have either been really wrong or really right. Pontus. Yes, because today we're actually celebrating a really right. It's been Ooh. a long time, yeah, so I thought it was time for that. Two of our favorite people out there, one of them we've already mentioned, Edzard Ernst, and Nikhil Mukherjee. And both of them have been on the show, so that's why we are, they are favorites. We, uh, we will list uh, the episodes where they were appearing uh, in, the, in the show notes, so you can look that up if you want to. It was episode... And the other one was episode... I, I can tell you now, actually, because I have access to all kinds of data. Edzard Ernst was here on episode 10 already, so he was there That's from exactly the beginning. That's exactly what I said, episode... Yeah. He was also here in episode 186 and in 312. Nikhil Mukherjee is still working on his uh, career. He's only been here once. Uh, that was in episode 352. So that must have been this year, I believe. Come on, Nikhil, raise your game, please. Hang on, hang on. 352 can't be right because we are recording 347. <gasps> so that's Whoa! probably... So he's, he's, he's coming in the future. He's coming here from the future. Let me look that up. <laughs> Because people, if you don't know it, we have a perfectly maintained, I think perfectly, doesn't look like it now, but index on our website where you can check all of these things. And Nikhil Mukherjee was here on episode 252. So. 252, right? 252. Only once though. Come on, raise your game, Nikhil. You've got, you've got to catch up on Edzard. Yes. So he was here in episode 252. 
But they, the reason I mentioned these two guys, these two excellent gentlemen, is that they collaborated and they published a paper called Why Homeopathy is Pseudoscience. Okay, good clarification we need there to, to explain, at least for people who don't already know. And of course, they, they deserve a prize for doing only that. But that's only the background for this week's award. On 16th of September, our hope in the dark in the fight against homeopathy in Germany, the health minister Karl Lauterbach, he tweeted about this uh, paper and he said, and I've translated this from German, quote, this paper on homeopathy by two renowned experts, here, here, is worth reading. It shows once again very clearly it is a dangerous pseudoscience, end quote. So, good. Nice quote. Very good. good. It doesn't end here, actually, because this was a couple of uh, weeks ago. On the 6th of October, it was reported that Lauterbach wants to put the financing of homeopathic treatments by statutory health insurers to the test. And he said to the journal Der Spiegel, quote, Although homeopathy is not significant in expenditure volume, it has no place in science-based health policy. That is why we will examine whether homeopathy can be removed as a statutory benefit. End quote. Here we go. Finally, we're getting closer. We had the UK stopped financing homeopathy, very much thanks to the Good Thinking Society, a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. France followed suit last year, I believe it was. And we have been waiting for Germany to go the same way. Let's hope that this goes that way. Uh, we had very high hopes for Lauterbach when he was appointed because he had been very critical of homeopathy in the past. We haven't seen too much action on his behalf so far, despite us repeatedly calling on him to do so on this very show. So I'm sure uh, that is what is now having an effect on his uh, actions. And he will now move forward because we have requested it and he will hopefully be wiping homeopathy off the German map. Wow. Um, German homeopaths must hate him. I'm surprised they're not <laughs> attempting a homeopathic assassination, right? They just spike his drink with some 30C belladonna or something. <laughs> well, they could try because I'm sure that wouldn't work. Well, what I'm saying, uh, wiping the map clean of, of this, I'm, I'm talking about that part of the map that is funded by public means. Uh, I think homeopathy will always be with us. But for sure, if we can reduce it to a fringe activity that people do on the, almost said on their free time, but on their own money, that, on the free better. dollar, yeah, as long as it's not coming out the public purse. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So, four, and I do hope I'm not premature in doing this. Uh, but for taking up the fight against pseudoscientific nonsense like homeopathy, Karl Lauterbach gets this week's award for being really right. And I think when we're at it, let's hand one also to Ed Sardernst and Nikhil Mukherjee for fighting the good fight. Absolutely. Okay, uh, that brings us towards the end of the show. One more thing just to finish off. We are going to end, as we always do, with a quote. Okay, today's quote was unearthed for us by Annika before she started feeling not well. So she does have input into this show. Thank you, Annika. Thankfully, Pontus translated it from German for me. So this comes from Anton Zeilinger. 
who is an Austrian quantum physicist and Nobel laureate in physics of 2022. To people who believe in esotericism, i.e. in energy waves, water dowsing or homeopathy, I say study quantum mechanics. It is not much stranger, but contrary to your claims, it is experimentally proven. Very good. Very, very good. Smackdown from Anton there. He's laying it on deep. Yeah, and the thing is that there are so many interesting things in real life. You don't have to invent nonsense. Study what's there because it's fantastic and beautiful and fascinating as it is. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, quantum mechanics is about as close to mystical magic as we as we get in the world of science. So, yes. yeah. Um, you know, hey, homeopaths and, and co, you know, start looking up top quarks, okay? Uh, you <laughs> might go on a fun journey. It's yeah, not right. for me, but hey, I'm sure the rest of you would enjoy it. <laughs> All right. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the show. Pontus, thank you for putting up with me again. Thanks for joining us. It's been a blast. And, you know, get well, Annika. Listeners, send in your well wishes to Annika, please. Um, she is helping further the cause of medical science, so I think she deserves all the plaudits for doing that. And, uh, you know, safe travels for Andras. We will see you folks next time. Get up, yeah! Hit all! This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. And you should not be, you should not have to be, you shouldn't be, oh, fuck me. Boom. <laughs> 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 That was pretty good, right? Very good. I wonder if I have those kazoos still from 2018. <laughs> oh, but... man. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. We, should, we should bring those, right? Yeah. I forgot all about the kazoos. P- mental note, okay? All right. Waiting for that, yeah. I've got, I know you guys don't do that every week, right? But I need to do that, okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. It doesn't feel right. Okay, yeah, g- go get ahead, in sir. the mood. Get in the mood, right? Hey, do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Get confused. Get confused. But it's fine.